morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And can we welcome our Appleton campus, our West campus, our online campus, and all those that are joining us? It's great to see you and great to have you, whether you're joining us at the theaters in Appleton or at the West or online. We're glad to have you. Also, I want to give a big shout out to Joan Rogers. Joan lives in Brussels, Belgium, and she watches us and joins us every single week. So, Joan, we love you. Give a big love to Joan. And Joan, if you're watching in my memory today, please go to Paul's and have a macaroon for me for lunch. I just want to say that. All right. Well, it's great to be with you and great to open God's Word. And if you have your Bible, if you would open it to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through this chapter this morning. Uh, next week, we're going to conclude this series as we walk through chapter 5. I think it's going to be a pretty fitting uh, time, especially with it being Father's Day. Just want to give a shout out, all ladies, it's Father's Day, so you need to really do something extravagant for your man of your life, that's all I'm saying. Mm. Let me say that again. <laughs> ladies, you need to do something really extravagant for the men of your life. Woo, all right. Maybe it's like a new boat, or it's a new motorcycle, or new golf clubs. Just saying, just saying, right? Whatever it is. So, um, but we're going to conclude that series, the series next week, and I hope that you're here to, to be a part of that. As we kind of just jump in today, uh, we know that John is writing to the church as he's writing this, this, this letter, in essence. And, uh, and he's writing, and the church is basically comprised of, of people that have been raised in church and people that have not been raised in church. First-generation Christians and multi-generational, uh, uh, at least Jewish believers that understand the Judeo-Christian values in which John is writing. And up to this point, John has really exhorted the church. He's really just tried to encourage, tried to get into the proverbial kitchen and rattle the pots and pans. But when he goes to chapter 4, he's really trying to make sure that they understand this whole concept that God is love and what that means. So he's not exhorting them as much in this point of the letter as he is defining what it means. And John breaks, breaks this definition of this love of God and the fact that God is love into, into two parts. The first part is, is that he wants to establish the fact that God's love is among us. He uses the word among, that God's word is among us. In verse 8, he specifically says it this way. And, and he's wanting this idea, idea to, to, to be resident in those that are followers of Jesus to understand that, that God's love is not just somewhere out there, but that God's word is resident and living and should be resident in the community of believers. For all those people that come together and call themselves Christ followers, it should be existent, tangibly existent in their presence. So he defines this, first of all, this love of God that's among us, that love is originated by God, that God is the originator of love, that this is where love comes from, that this whole idea behind God is love, God originates this idea. And he starts in verse 7 to define this. He says this, Dear friends, if you're reading the King James Version, it would say, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So he establishes this definition that God is love. But love is not so much an act 
Love is more, uh, excuse me, it's not so much a noun as it is a verb. And I want to make this, make sure you understand this. God is love, but love is not God. God is love, John says, but he does not say that love is God. What's the difference, Aaron? Well, let me help you with this first of all. Aaron Cole may be so pretty, but everything that is pretty is not Aaron Cole. Understand? And you laugh, and my heart breaks. God is bigger than one activity or action of love. He's bigger than one action of love. He's, more, he, he, he's defined not just by one single activity or a group of activities of love, because God is all-encompassing. And this is something that we have a hard time with because you and I, as, 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 as humans, we're finite. We're limited. We have a beginning and an end. But God is infinite. He's infinite. He has no beginning. He has no end. God is so big that you can't get over him. He's so deep that you can't get under him. He's so wide that you can't get around him. And so when, God, so when John establishes the fact that God is love, he's saying, look, God is not just some single action of love or just some single activity of love or just some single thing you can point to. You, you can't define him in just that. He's, all of his activity is loving. Love describes the very essence and nature, the being, the, the existence of who God is. And this love that God possesses is unconditional. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That word so denotes the fact that there's no strings attached. So I want you to catch this today. When John says God is love, he's not speaking to an action or to a single activity, but rather he's speaking to the being, to the essence, to the very nature of whom God is. But God is even bigger than that. And if you understand that God is love, it changes the way you view him. It changes the way that you interact with him. It changes the way that you worship him. It changes the way that you read the Bible. It changes the way you go to church. It changes every single thing about you because what you understand is that God is so much bigger than anything that's going on in your world. He's so much bigger than any one single activity, but he in his very nature and his very being is love. And when you view God in that way, he's not someone to be feared He's not someone to tremble from. He's not someone to run from, but he truly is Abba Father, which means Papa God. Now, for some of you, that's a problem because your own earthly father is not someone that you love or that's not very loving. If you were raised in a family where your earthly father was, was a good man and he was a good dad and, 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 and you have a great relationship then the reality is, is that you probably get this pretty easily. But if you don't have a loving earthly father or a good relationship with your earthly father, then it's very hard for you to connect with the idea of Father God being love. Because the example that you had on this planet has not been that. And for you, you're going to have to work through this emotionally. You're going to have to work through this spiritually, maybe even somewhat mentally as you walk through Scripture. But John's wanting us to understand that God began this whole idea of love, but that God's even bigger than that. He originated this. And when I view the fact that God is love, when I don't just cognizantly understand it, but that I live and I exist and I move in that type of a mindset, 
It changes every way that I approach God. It, it, it changes everything about how I view God. God is not some cosmic killjoy in the heavenlies. He's loving and he's caring. He's nurturing. He cares for me. And when things happen in my life, he cares about those things. When things are happening in my midst, he cares about those things. And he's not relegated to one single activity of love, but rather he's all of that in my world. John goes on to say, God, not only did he originate love, but love is exemplified by God. Love is exemplified by God. He showed his love. He demonstrated it in verse 9 and verse 10. He says this, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Notice there's a colon there. Not what's preceded, but now what he's about to say. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but rather that he has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for you. Before you had the ability to accept or reject before you had the ability to have an opinion, when you were dead in your sins and transgressions, the Bible says, that's when God loved you so much unconditionally that he sent his one and his only son. That's the message of the cross. We keep talking about that every week. And sometimes as you read the book of John, as, as you read most books in the Bible, there's a redundancy to it. There, there's, there's, there feels like there's this, this re-emphasis, this repeating going on. And, and it's to bring back home the point. He keeps bringing the point back to the cross, to the message of the cross, that God initiated his love by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That God sacrificed his one and only son for you and for I. And that Jesus is our example because he loved us before we ever loved him, thus we should love one another. It's the message of the cross. It's that vertical relationship with God, horizontal relationship with man. I have a right relationship with God, thus I can have a right relationship with my brothers and sisters. And John has said in, verse, in chapters 1 and chapters 2 and chapters 3 that if I cannot love my brothers and sisters, if I don't have healthy horizontal relationships in my life, it's because the love of God is not in me. It's the message of the cross. He didn't just say it, he lived it. Again, God is love. So God's love is among us. Let me just stop here as I go into the second part of this definition. This should be something, and we're going to talk more about this next weekend, that people should know us when they pull into the parking lot, when they pull into the campus, at, at, at the West Campus, at the Marcus Majestic, or, or, or in Appleton, or when, when they log online, or when they come into the Germantown campus, they should sense something about us. They should sense something that's different. There should be a love that's there. And let me help you out with this. I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm not talking about accepting people's sins. I'm not talking about condoning people's sins. That, that's not what love is about. Love says, I love you because I choose to love you. And love doesn't mean that I accept your activities or your behavior. It just means that I love you as a person. That's what Jesus did. I love you as a person. You may be living in sin. You may not be right with God. According to scripture, you may be on your way to hell. But my job is to love you. Not to excuse your sin, that's not my responsibility, nor that's beyond my pay grade. Not, 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 to make, not to condone your activity or your lifestyle, that's not it. But I'm here to love you. I'm not here to judge you either. What did Jesus tell the disciples? I want to make you fishers of men, not cleaners of the fish. Now, I like fishing. I like eating fish, but I hate cleaning fish. 
was with Bruce Heiser one time, and he has what he's called the magic bucket, and you put the fish in the bucket, and his dad, Otis, cleans the fish. I love that. Everybody needs an Otis, amen? Everybody needs a magic but- bucket, amen? Hallelujah. Praise his name. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is that magic bucket. Not you, not me. Who died and made you God? And where do we feel the responsibility to have to stand in judgment for people's sins? That's not my responsibility. And that's not cheap grace for me to say that. That's actually cheap law for you to live that way. Ooh, girl, he's all up in the kitchen this morning. My, my point is, is that sometimes we try to take on things. We try. This is religion. We try to help God out. God doesn't need help. My responsibility is to be as pure and holy as I possibly can be, knowing that my righteousness is as a filthy rags inside of a holy God. And it's by his grace that I'm saving through faith and that not on myself. It's a gift of God, lest I would boast. But my responsibility to my brothers and sisters is to love. The Holy Spirit will judge. God will judge. He's, he's faithful and just. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to love. And because I love you doesn't mean I condone your activity. Because I look you in the eye and say I love you doesn't mean that I think everything you do is right. Because you look me in the eye and tell me that you love me doesn't mean you think everything that I do is right. What it does mean is that that's what God's called me to do. So God's love should be among us. John doesn't stop there. He gives us a second part of this definition. In order for this to happen, God's love is in us. In order for this to truly work, God's love has to be in us. It has to be in you. And this happens in two ways. First, the love is completed by God. This love of God has to be completed by God. If he originates it, he has to complete it. Look at verse number 11. He defines this. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's what we've been talking about. How does that work? Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. How? This is how we know that we live in him and that he is in us. For he has given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God and that God lives in them and they in God. It's Romans 10, 9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, we will be saved. Verse 16 says, And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. For God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now, when you read that, just like kind of a cursory reading of that, it can feel a bit like a termite and a yo-yo. You're like, whoa, I'm just going in circles. God is love, lives in me. I live in him. What's going on? I got a little yin-yang happening here. What's happening? What is all? Okay, so let me just walk you through the process of what he's explaining. And this is all through the, through, through the book of 1 John. This is how this works. This is how God's love is made complete. This is what he means by this. And this is what he states. First of all, you have to understand the process is that God is love. It's the first part of the process. God is love. And when you understand that God is love, we've already, we just talked about that, you have a complete mind shift and a mindset. Secondly, you have to understand not only God is love, but that God loves you. God loves you. Many of you believe that God is love, but you don't really believe that God loves you. But Aaron, I'm not a Christ follower. The Bible says that God loved us and gave his son for us when we were yet sinners. 
God loves you. God loves all six billion people on the planet. That's the reason why we're so nuts about going around the corner, around the world to do missions, because that's the heart of God, right? The heartbeat of, God, of Jesus is not willing that any should perish. That's his heartbeat. Not willing that any should perish. That's the heartbeat of the church, the bride of Christ. Not willing that any should perish. Whether they live in Wisconsin, whether they live in the United States, whether they, whether they live in, 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 in Bangkok, Thailand, not willing that any should perish. It doesn't matter. God loves every single person on the planet. And sometimes we can even believe that God loves everybody, but God really doesn't love me. And here's the problem with that. Because the way we love as humans is conditional. I love you when you act the way I want you to act. That's really acceptance, not love. But we, we kind of denote it to be the same way. I love you when you're being nice to me. I, I love you when you're helping me. I, I love you when you're doing what I think needs to be done. I, I'm okay with you. God doesn't operate that way. Does God have human-like tendencies and characteristics? Yes, the Bible describes him in that way. The Bible says that you and I are made in the very image and likeness of God. So really, it's more like we bear his image, not he bears our image. But sometimes we think in those terms that that's how God must love me. If I'm good, then he loves me. If I'm really good, he loves me more. And if I'm not so good, he loves me a little bit less. No, he doesn't operate that way. He loves without condition. He loves without condition. What does that mean? That means that God loves you. Does that mean that I don't have to accept Jesus Christ and I do what I want to do and I go to heaven? No, you're going to go to hell. Whoa. Can't believe you threw that four-letter word out there. I didn't write the book. God's love has nothing to do with whether or not you go to heaven or hell. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that if you believe on Jesus, you'll go to heaven. That is a choice that you make. But the love of the Father to give his one and only Son to love you right where you are is a choice that God made. And as long as God is concerned, as far as God is concerned, he loves you. He sent his Son to rescue you, to save you from your sins, because he knew you and I don't have the ability to do it on our own. And he loves us enough. And he also loves us enough that he gives you the ability to be a free moral agent. You get to choose. You're not a rock'em, sock'em robot. God doesn't control you from the heavenlies. You get to choose. What do you want to do with your life? It's your choice. You're the only critter that roams the planet that gets to choose what they do. You have free will. You have free choice. You get to choose. Does God know what you're going to choose? Yes, because he's God. He's the beginning and the end. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's infinite. He, he knows all. He's been all. He is all. But he still allows you the ability to choose. But he still loves you even if you reject him. He still loves you even if you turn your back on him. He still loves you before you loved him. And he loves you the same when you accept him. That's hard for Christians to understand. That God doesn't love you more because you've accepted his only son, Jesus Christ, than he, than he does before you accepted his son. Because that's how we love, right? I mean, if you accept my kids, then I'm going to like you a little bit more. If you're mean to my kids, I'm going to beat you up in the parking lot, right? I mean... Ladies, please help me with this. I mean, you're, you're, you're the world's worst. The mama bear comes out. Don't you mess with my babies. You've seen them at a soccer game? Wow, they're out. All right. That's what happens. We're conditional lovers. You're nice to me. I'm going to be nice to you. That's not the way God operates. So you have to understand, first of all, God is love. But secondly, God 
loves you. Maybe you just need to say that to yourself. God loves me. If you don't hear anything else I say today, hear that. If nothing else makes sense, let that declarative statement ring in your heart that God loves you. John goes on to say, then if God is love and God loves you, then you experience the love of God. When you accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, as your Lord and Savior, then you experience the love of God. That's what he's talking about in verse 14 and verse 15, that God sent his son into the world to live for us. And that if we acknowledge him and we acknowledge he's the son of God, that he lives in us and that he, he dies for our sins, that we experience this love of God. How do you experience the love of God? By accepting Jesus Christ. Oh, you may understand that God is love and that God loves you, but you'll never experience the love of God until you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Why? Because it's the great exchange. It's where God gets to come in and he gets to wipe your sin away and he gets to take your cold black heart and, and, and wipe it white as snow. He, he gets to change you from the inside out. And when you experience the unconditional love of God, it changes you. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you, you do life. It changes the way you love other people. It changes you. It changes you. And this is one thing John is saying. Remember, his audience isn't to lost people. His audience is to church people. And he's saying, look, don't forget the fact that you acknowledge Jesus Christ, that you accepted Jesus Christ, God's gift of love, of unconditional love to us, that you experience this love of God. Don't forget, and I would say to you, especially if you're a crusty Christian, do you remember when Jesus Christ came in and changed your life? Don't forget that. Do you remember when he wiped your sin away? Do you remember when he took your cold, cold heart and, and he warmed it up and he took that black heart and he wiped it away and his blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross, that it wiped your sin away, that it took your sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west. Do you remember how free you felt? Do you remember how joyful you felt? Do you remember how much peace coursed through the very, the very being of who you are? Don't forget that. That's to experience the love of God. John says, don't forget that experience. And when you have experienced that, then you will love others as God has loved you. That's the next part. You will love others as God has loved you. You can't love other people with unconditional love unless you have first been loved unconditionally by God. This is what the world doesn't understand. Is that because God has given me such grace, I need to give grace to others. Because God has washed my sins away, I need to be kind to us. Because God has done for me what I have the inability to do for myself, I need to in turn have others experience that exact same life change. That's what I've given my life to. That's what you're giving your life to. We want other people to experience the same love of God. And, and in essence, he ends that this is your love is your testimony. That when you experience this love of God and that you begin to love other people as God has loved you, this becomes your testimony. This is becomes how you're known. This is how it's supposed to work. That the banner, the mantra, the, the whatever should be said about you is that you love other people. What, what the Bible says, how will they know us? By our love one for another. 
Again, John's talking to, to church people, but if we can't love each other in this room, if you can't love people that you're sitting next to in the theater, how can you love God? I mean, how can you love other people outside? You, you, you can't. And, and so this becomes how we're known. And this is what John is wanting us to understand. When we truly understand that God is love, when we truly understand that God loves us just as we are and all of our messed up, all of our jacked upness, all of our mistakes, all of our sins, all of our faults, all of our failures, when we truly experience the love of God through salvation in Jesus Christ, then we will truly be able to love other people. And that will be our testimony. That's how people will know us. Folks, that's not cheap grace. That's called the good news. That's the gospel. And, and, and that's how it works. And the question is, is that how it's living out in your own life? And if not, why? Do people know you because of your loving kindness? Or do they know you because, because you're stiff religious ways? Do they know you because you love other people and there's a joy in your heart that you give to other people? Or, or do they know you as being some, some crusty Christian? Do they know you because of, uh, of what Jesus has done in your life? Or do they just know that, you know, you claim to be some religious person? That's the difference between religion and relationship. Religion cannot set you free. Religion cannot give you unconditional love. Religion cannot change your life. Religion will never help you love other people. Religion will help you push people away. Look, I grew up in the South, man. And we are known in the South for being racist and for being prejudicial and for being bigots. But I'm telling you, after living 12 years north of the Mason-Dixon line, it's as much prevalent here in the state of Wisconsin as they ever thought about being. I'm telling you, and we, we hide it and we put it under the table because it's impolite to put it above the table. But it's the same prejudice. It's the same bigotry. It's the same hatred. How do you break that? Because we're all born with biases. We're all born with limitations. We're all born with certain prejudices. It's innate in who we are as humans. What destroys that? The love of God, this unconditional love of God that transforms my soul, that helps me look at my brother and my sister and go, you may be different, but I love you. You may not be exactly what I think you should be, but I love you. Why? Because God has so loved me. And if God can so love me and so radically save my life and so radically change me, he can help anybody. That's the good news. Amen. That's the good news. Woo. Work it. I'm just telling you, I'm trying. That's what John is saying. And you know it, and I know it. If we live life this way, we would change our world. And it wouldn't be cheap grace. But people would begin to call on the name of the Lord. Why? Because they would see it in you and in I. They would sense it in you and in I. And he ends with this love of God that's in us, that love is not just completed by God, but it's also promised by God. Love is promised by God. Look at verse 17 through verses 19. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have confidence. That's the operative phrase in this whole deal. On the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. It's not God. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. John says that God's love is made complete 
so that we may have confidence today and tomorrow. Let me help you with this. This is how we truly, when we truly understand that God is love and that God loves me and I experience the love of God and I give it to someone else in the same manner. And that becomes my testimony. That becomes the mantra. That becomes how I'm known because of my love one for another. God's love then is complete in me. And I have confidence in what? I have confidence in God. I have confidence in what he did in me. And I have confidence when I stand before him on the day of judgment that I have nothing to be ashamed of, that I have nothing to fear. Where does fear come from? From Satan. God is not, Paul says to Timothy, God's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Anytime you operate in fear, that's never godly. You're on an airplane and you're fearful, that's not of the Lord. You're, 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 you're fearful of your kids going to school, that's not of the Lord. Fear is a tactic of the enemy. Fear is something that the devil goes about to try to seize you up, to try to control you, to try to do this. He, he, he tries to, to keep you in the proverbial box. And, but, 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 but this love of God, this perfect love, it drives out all fear. So when I'm made complete in God and when I truly understand that God is love, when I truly understand that he loves me, when I truly am experiencing his love, when I'm truly giving his love out to other people, I have confidence. Confidence in what? Confidence that God will take care of the situation. Confidence that I'm saved. Confidence that, as Paul would say, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Father. Fear's gone. Fear is gone. Even fear of death is gone because that's a work of the enemy. It's a punishment. It's trying to control me. It's trying to keep me. Don't want to do that. I, I, I might not come back. I, I don't want to go on that missions trip. You know, something could happen. I, 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 I don't want to go out there and do that because this may happen. I just, and I get to be controlled by fear. And that's not, that's not of God. And when I truly operate in the complete love of God, fear is gone. And I have confidence. You ever been in a situation where you don't really know what to do and you're kind of unsure and you're unsteady and you're just, and you're, you're kind of jumpy and you're kind of whatever? And then, you, and then you've ever been in a situation where you know exactly what's going to happen, what's going to happen next, the whole deal? I mean, like, I fly all the time. And so I, I know exactly, I know exactly what time to leave my house. I know exactly where to park. I know exactly where to walk through. I'm TSA pre-check. I walk straight through. I get the whole deal. No, I don't have to take off my shoes, my belt. Don't have to completely disrobe myself. Thank you, Lord. One time I was going through a scanner. A lady said, something's going on right here. I said, I pulled up my shirt. I said, ma'am, there is nothing there but a fat gut. She said, put it down, sir. Put it down. Thank you. I walked right on through. Anyhow, I mean, I, I go right through. I know exactly where to go. I go right. I, I just, I've got my rhythm. I know, I, know when, I know when everything is on time, what to check. I know where to stand. I know what to do. I know how to get on. I know what seat I like. I, I, I have a rhythm. But if I'm walking through, it's funny to me sometimes to see people that don't travel very much. And they're just like, they're trying to figure it out. Do you want me to take my pants off? Well, I need to take my shirt. What's going on? I mean, because TSA is crazy. I'm going to do all that. I mean, what's going on? And you're just going, no. And I want to help people sometimes. But it's just like, it's just confidence. I just know what's going on. I know what I got to do. John says, when you have the love of God, you have confidence. You have confidence today because you know that God loves you. You're secure in that. You're not looking around. You're, you're secure in that. You're not looking for love in the arms of someone else because you know that God loves you. You know he's got a plan for your life. You know he'll bring those things to pass that need to come to pass. You also understand, too, that when you stand before God, you don't have to be fearful. How many Christians do I meet that really, in, in your heart of hearts, go, I really hope I make it to heaven? 
can you be sure, Pastor? Really simple, because that's what the Bible says. Look, lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, you'd fall. Don't lean on my words, lean on his words. That's what John's saying. When you truly have experienced salvation, when you really know who God is, there's this confidence in you. And you're not fearful of the Father. Now, this summer, my, my niece, uh, uh, who just f- completed her freshman year at University of Arkansas, is with Tammy and I, McKenzie. And uh, so she's kind of working in the office. She's kind of interning. My, my assistant, Courtney's on maternity leave. And so uh, McKenzie's up. I said, hey, you can help me out and do all this kind of stuff. And so if you see me running around town with a, with a, with a blonde, uh, I'm not having an affair on Tammy. That's my niece. We were out the other day having dinner because Tammy was gone, and I said, I probably need to explain this to a few people. And so, um, and so anyhow, but I was having a, what I call a come-to-Jesus meeting on the phone with someone, and my office door was shut, and, and uh, anyhow, she could hear me along with some of the other gals that are working out there in the, in the admin area, and I walked out, and she said, wow, Uncle Aaron, you sure do sound like Papa, which is my dad. I said, did you hear what I was saying? No, I just kind of heard the tone. I just kind of knew. I said, yeah, and she goes, she goes, she, and she said, and I said, you think so? She goes, yeah, she said, Papa should be, should be a judge. I mean, he just is like, and I said, yeah, so I started doing, mimicking my dad's voice and the whole deal. And she said, that's exactly, that's the whole deal. And, and, and I said, does, does Papa scare you or something? He goes, no, 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 but my friends. And I said, oh, yeah, my friends growing up, man, they, my dad, they, my dad was so stern. My dad's not a very emotional guy at all and was so stern and so whatever that he would really freak them out. But to me, he's my dad. I, I, I know when he means business. And I know when I got a little grace, right? I know when he's fixing to use that belt like Indiana Jones used the whip. I, I, I know when I better, you know. He's going to light me up like a Christmas tree. I know when I can get, get away with something. And that's kind of like with God. He's not scary to me because he's my father. And when you truly understand the fatherhood of God, you understand that even in his discipline, it's not punishment. It's trying to help me. You, you, you understand with confidence he's your dad and you know what's expected. And other people look at him as very scary, but you approach him with a certain amount of grace. Respect, but with grace, because he's your father. And that's where John says he wants everybody to be. To experience this love of God that will transform your life and transform others around you. If you've not experienced the love of God, I want to give you an opportunity to do so today. Here's what we're going to do to close today's service. I'm going to ask you in just a minute to bow your head and close your eyes, everybody in this room, and not yet, but in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask those of you that say, man, Aaron, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've never asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and come into my life. I've never experienced what John's talking about, but I believe today that God is love, and I believe today that God loves me, and I want to experience that salvation experience through Jesus Christ. I want to have that peace that you're talking about. I want to have that joy that's indescribable. I I want to have that love of God in my life. I'm going to ask you in just a minute to raise your hand. And then then after that, I'm going to ask you to follow me in a prayer. Just repeat a prayer after me. And praying the prayer is not what saves you. The Bible says that when you believe the prayer that you're praying, that's what saves you. It's your heart. God doesn't look on the outer appearance. He looks on our heart. 
Only two people that know your heart is you and God. And so maybe even today you are a Christ follower. And you'd say, you know what, Aaron, I, uh, I just need to ask God to forgive me, not for, my, not, not for salvation, but I need to ask God just to help me to remember that he really loves me that way. And then I've been reminded today that I really need to love other people that way. I've kind of gotten crusty in that. So maybe right where you're sitting, you may just need to when we bow our heads and close our eyes in just a minute, whether you're at the West Campus or at the Appleton Campus or the Germantown Campus, you may need to just say, Lord, forgive me and help me. God, it's been a long time. Remind me of that day that I gave my life to you. God's here. Where two or more are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. If they ask anything according to his name, it'll be done for them by the Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. Again, folks, go back to the word. Go back to what scripture says. John chapter one, 1 John chapter one says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness every single time. Whatever you need from him today, wherever you are today, he's right there. Jesus is as close as the mention of his name. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? here at the Germantown campus, at the West campus, at the Appleton campus, just simply bow your head and close your eyes. Even if you're watching online, just you may be with a group of people and you're right there and you're huddled around a television or a screen, just bow your head. God sees. That's what's important, not me. If you're here today and you say, Aaron, I, I, I'm not right with Jesus. I've not experienced the love of God and I want to experience that salvation. I, I acknowledge that Jesus is God's son and I know that he's my savior and I want him to come and take my sins away and I want to experience that peace and that joy and that life and this unconditional love of God. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I just want you to simply lip up your hand, up and back down. Thanks. Just high enough for me to see it. Thanks. 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 At the Appleton campus, at the West campus, just up and back down. The campus pastors are there and they're seeing it. Thank you. Anybody else? I know this is between you and God, but I just want, it's just a kind of a point of contact. Thank you. Anyone else? I'm going to ask everybody with their heads bowed and with your eyes closed to lend your voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. At the Appleton campus, at the West campus, at the Germantown campus, I'm just going to ask you to all to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, and to be my Lord, and to be my Savior. I believe in you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose again, just like the Bible says. Thank you, God, for sending your only Son. And let me experience the unconditional love of Jesus today. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, I just pray for every person that's prayed that prayer. Lord, for the life change that's happening right now that's just going on in people's lives. For the joy that's indescribable, let it fill their hearts. God, for the peace of God that passes all understanding. For that person that's watching online right now, Lord, just I just pray right there in their living room, right there, Lord, where they're sitting. Maybe they're in a coffee shop. I don't know, halfway around the world. But God, you are there. And I pray just minister to their heart right where they are. I thank you, oh God, that you are love. Not just an action of love, but you are the originator. You're the exemplifier. You are all-encompassing 
blessing so great we cannot get around you, Lord. You fill every part of us. And I just pray, God, help us today to live in that love, that in you we live and that we move and that we have our being. And in your love, let us live, let us move, let us exist. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.